Hello and welcome to the weekend update. I'm Christopher Gallagher. As you can probably hear from my voice, illness has consumed Cynic Towers. We've really not been in the best of form this week. But in times like this, we've got a great support team who have helped uh, to fill in the gaps. Today's episode of the weekend update will consist of Colin Kearney's chat with Derek Watson to get the Motherwell perspective ahead of the game tomorrow versus Motherwell. Derek is a member of the Well Society and a season ticket holder, so he'll give you the Motherwell point of view. We then have Graham McKay chatting with Christian Wolfe to get the opposition analysis report so you can have everything at hand as we go into the last game before the split. This weekend we planned on recording the reaction on location post-match, but due to the aforementioned illness, we have had to assemble uh, another panel, uh, a fine panel, international flavoured panel. Um, so that will uh, obviously take place straight after the game tomorrow. Uh, and then for the big semi-final, um, myself and Chris Bowd will be going to the game with a few others. So we'll have a post-match reaction that will be uh, done in person just after the match. So without further ado, let's go to Colin Kearney and uh, he get the Motherwell point of view. I'm Colin, I'm stepping in for uh, Chris today and I'm speaking to Derek, who is a director at the Well Society. Um, so Derek, um, thanks for doing this and uh, just start us off by telling us how the season's been going for you guys so far. Geez, I, I hate to use this cliche, Colin, but it's very much been a, a roller coaster season for for Motherwell fans. It's had a lot of ups and downs. Uh, without boring you too much, I'm sure you'd, you'd rather talk about the, the game at the weekend. But it's it's been all over the place. You know, you you go back to the start of the season when Graham Alexander was was the manager, and we were playing over in Sligo in Ireland. We thought we were going to get a wee European run, uh, and we get knocked out by Irish minnows, as people were were labelling them. Uh, Stevie Hamill came in, club legend, you know, delighted to see him take the job. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out for him. And, you know, things like that are, are really hard to take because everyone at Motherwell Football Club, you know, everyone that goes to Fir Park on a Saturday loves Stevie Hamill. You know, he's he's one of our uh, all-time top uh, players in terms of appearances. And, you know, it, it just didn't work for him. Uh, you could say if, if he'd went a bit earlier, we might have still been in the cup. But, you know, that's that's slightly unfair. I suppose we just don't know how it would have went. Stuart Kettlewell came in uh, and remarkably, you know, he's, he's had us playing fantastic. Uh, we've had five wins out of the eight matches that he's there. Two defeats, one came against Rangers and, and the other one was just at the weekend there against Dundee United. To, you have to say, you know, Jim Goodwin's got them playing some really good football and they're almost fighting for their lives at the bottom of the league. So, yeah, well, it's been great recently, uh, but it's it's not been great throughout the, the course of the season. So, hopefully we're on the up and it's, it's not just a... Uh, a temporary bit of form that we've found, you know. And and you're talking about the sort of how how have you been handling the uh, how have you handled the manager dismissals this season, like personally and as a club? Yeah, it's it's been difficult. When it was Alexander, I, I was probably one of the Motherwell fans who who really liked him. Uh, when there wasn't a great deal of us, I, I think you know people, especially in, in Scottish football, and I think Celtic fans are probably a good example of this. You know, there's the old classic saying, you know, they want the teams to play the Celtic way and it's free-flowing football and passing, etc. You know, Alexander had us playing terrible football, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. You know, in, in terms of watching it, it was it was brutal. It was not enjoyable in the slightest, but we, 
they managed to grind out results. And, and for me, at a club like Motherwell, I would much rather we were as high up the, the table as possible in, in, in European competitions playing shit football, for one of a better word, uh, rather than knocking the ball about and, and losing every week. Losing uh, it, losing stylishly, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, Colin. I, I just don't see the point in that. Uh, mm. and, and that's maybe easy for me to say, who's used to watching uh, players that aren't quite as good or aren't quite at the level of you know, Celtic and Rangers. But... Uh, when, when Graham gets sacked, I, I was quite disappointed to, to see him go, but there, there was no coming back for him, you know, losing to Sligo. Uh, the writing was on the wall there. The performances hadn't been very good, and, and I think that was his last chance. Uh, getting us into Europe for many Motherwell fans, they said it papered over the cracks. Uh, we did get into Europe not playing very well, and I, and I would say that a lot of the other teams in the league being so poor certainly helped us out as well. Uh when Stevie Hamill left as well, it was it was really difficult because, uh, as I touched on earlier, Stevie's a, a legend at the club, and uh, I think despite you know his his time as manager not going so well, people will always remember him fondly. That that was a really hard one for all Motherwell fans because I think uh, we've seen recently just to touch on another club in the league, St Johnston, just get rid of Callum Davidson. You know that that guy there's won three cups and three cup finals for St Johnston. That things like that don't really happen, so. Uh, I noticed a few St Johnston fans writing online that they were really sad to see him go, but it was the right time. And you know, unfortunately, I think Motherwell fans would say the same thing about Stevie Hamill. It was, uh, it was the right time for Stevie to go. It just wasn't working. It wasn't clicking. But on the on the contrary, contrary to that, what I would say is a, a lot of the players that are playing well now were Stevie's players, so they have to take a bit of responsibility as well. It's so easy to point the fingers at the manager, but. You know, as I touched on, we've had five wins from eight with Stuart Kettlewell, and it's, it's all the same guys that are, that are playing week in, week out. So, I mean, if I remember rightly, I think um, Liam Kelly did say something along those lines that the players had to take a bit of responsibility for um, for how they performed. Uh, you know, like I think it was Wraith Rovers that did for him, yeah. uh, Stevie Hamill, and I think uh, uh, Kelly came out and said that they had to take a share of the blame. So, I Absolutely. thought that was quite that was quite sort of a stand up thing to do, to be honest. It was, you know, I, I think Liam Kelly, being being the captain of the club, uh, has a responsibility there as well to, to say exactly what some of the fans are thinking. Uh, but yeah, the the Rafe Rovers game was tough. That was really tough. You know, we we just weren't at it. And unfortunately for Stevie, he's probably done. <laughs> when you make a number of substitutes, it's probably because you've got such a a depth in squad and quality and players, whereas. Towards the end of Stevie's reign, he was making you know three subs at half time, and it seemed like uh, desperation more than anything else. So, uh, yeah, the, the players need to stand up and, and take a bit of responsibility. But listen, we're trying to put that behind us, and they've, they've started playing, so we'll, we'll let them off for now. Uh, <laughs> as long as we, we avoid that relegation battle, that's all that matters. Well, I think that um, you know, def- things have obviously improved under uh, Kettlewell. You've gone from being sort of pretty bang close to the bottom to eighth at the moment. Um, as, and as you say, it's a lot of the same players, but getting more results is our current defined style of play. Um, would you say? Yeah, he's 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 changed the team a lot. Uh, to to be fair, you know, he's Hamill used to play some wingers. Stuart's taking taking the wingers out of the game. It's almost you know, uh, five at the back or a freegan freegan into five as well. Uh, I mean, I say it as most of the same players, but but over the. Uh, winter break, we brought in some some additions. We brought in Dan Casey, who's a, a young Irish lad who was playing out in America. Uh, Callum Butcher, who some people might remember, was at Dundee United before. I, I think he went down south. I can't remember where we actually got him from. It's maybe Fleetwood or somewhere like that. Uh, but, you know, the two of them have come in and, and they've really shored up the defence. 
We've brought in a few more players as well, but one that you're probably familiar with is Jack Aitchison, but he's uh, he's not really not really featured too much. So yeah, it, it has changed the shape, but I think what he's got as well, and, and he touched on this in his press conference, uh, I think it was maybe there or ahead of the Celtic game anyway, you know, he, he says that we're never going to have this attitude where we're going into a game thinking we're second best. Uh, and, and I think previously, you know, the, the players were getting in and their, their heads were down and they were quite deflated. So yeah, he's, it's almost as if he's brought this, you know, positivity to the club that was was lacking previously. So, uh, aye, it's it's been a marked improvement, and it, it seems like he's he's almost uh, he's got them playing with a bit of confidence that we never had before as well. So it's it's good to see, and, and long may it continue. And you're touching on some sort of key players in defence there. Who who else would you single out as kind of important to the to the bounce back we've seen? Yeah, uh, one one of the boys I would say has been been really. Pivotal to it is Max Johnson, who's uh, is a fullback uh, at Fir Park. There's uh, he's actually the son of Alan Johnson, who I believe is the Queen of the South manager or something along those lines. Uh, been playing played in Scottish football many years himself, but Max is excellent. He's he's a really pacey uh, fullback. He, he gets himself forward. You know, he's he's not scared to take a shot or get into the box and, and, and cut it back for the strikers. And he he never really had a run in the team before. He was he was out on loan at the start of the season and. Maybe a, a bigger issue that for Motherwell fans is he, he's now out of contract at the end of the season and it's been rumoured in the press that there's been offers from clubs abroad like Udinese and Bologna. Uh, another young Scottish player who I, I couldn't blame for going abroad but would be really sad to see go only playing half a season. Uh, the, the obvious other one is Kevin Van Veen. You know, uh, the guy's absolutely fantastic. I think he's, he's on something like 22 goals for the season across all competitions and Maybe nineteen or eighteen or nineteen in the league. Not 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 far behind Kyogo, but I don't think you'll quite catch him. Uh, but mm-hmm. Kevin is he's honestly Colin, just to, to watch him. It's uh, Motherwell fans are, I suppose, all football fans are like this. You know, they're a bit naive and they like to moan. And I think Motherwell fans just need to appreciate what they've got with Van Veen while he's here and, and just enjoy it because he's so entertaining to watch. And uh, you know the the way that he's been playing in recent weeks, he's he's got a real spring in his step. There was rumours that he, he might be leaving to to go to China, uh, and I believe that deal maybe fell through. But it almost feels as if that spurred him on uh, mm-hmm. to go to that next level and, and get that move come season end because uh, he's he's been fantastic. But you, you've seen players like this yourself at Celtic, I'm sure, Colin, that you can tell within the first five to ten minutes how he's going to be if he's yeah. decided he's coming up this week or not. Yep, but when totally. he turns up, he's he's unplayable. When when he doesn't, it's a nightmare, you know, because you know that he's got it in his locker. And do you, do, uh, how how worried are you about the fact that he might go? on? do you think you'll be able to hang on to him, or do you think he's for the I, door? I think that's him gone. You know, he's oh. he's in his he's in his thirties now. Uh, he's probably got one more move in him, uh, and I don't think any MD at Fir Park would would grudge him moving on. You know, he's 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 been fantastic. The last player. Uh, his quality, I really remember being there, was probably somebody like Higdon, who ended up top goal scorer, uh, got player of the year, and then lifted in the same night. So I don't know if Kevin will quite match that, but <laughs> oh, he's, he's fantastic. And listen, if this is his last season in Claret and Amber, then all the best to him when he does go. It, it sounds it sounds like you're almost preparing yourself for the worst. Uh, so oh, that's... <laughs> oh, we, we don't have like, these folk for long, do you know. <laughs> I, I would imagine many of your listeners would probably laugh at me for saying this, but it always always amazes me that you know Rangers and Celtic don't look at players like Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get that he's old and I get that he's not long in him, you know. But that he scored more goals in the league than Lawrence Shankland, and, and Shankland's a player who's kind of been muted at, at going to the old firm at times. So, uh, I, I listen. I, I've no doubt that. Uh, 
the Ange isn't he looking at Kevin Van Veen, but I, I don't see why they, they shouldn't have him on his radar. Well, we got Aaron Moy in, and he's not exactly a spring chicken, so you never know. That's very true. <laughs> and it, just bringing it back to obviously um, bringing it back to Celtic and the, the the tie this weekend. So, do you think you're going to be? So you're you've done pretty well under Kettlewell. I think we, there's a wee blip just against the Dundee United game. Do you think you'll set up differently for this game than against other teams? I, I don't think he will. You know, Stuart, Stuart seems quite uh, convinced of the way that he's going to set up. We've, we've played Rangers in the, the eight games that he's been in charge, and it was it was very similar uh, the way that he set up in that match. I don't I don't think he'll change much. I, I listened, as I said earlier, to his uh, match comments, and Kettlewell said something along the lines of, "You know, I, I see these matches as a learning curve," which you know, <laughs> I don't think he's he's coming out and saying that we're going to get beat, but. Uh, I think he likes to see how his team set up and how they can match players, or you know how how they compete against the the bigger players and the better players in the league. So I I, I would be surprised if he changes the shape or changes the team too much. I know that uh, Dean Cornelius and Sean Goss are two two players that have been playing really well in recent weeks in the middle of the park. Both of them have got uh, knocks or niggles, so they they might be out. So we could expect a few changes, but I don't think the the shape of the team will change too much. And like looking, I mean, obviously we haven't seen uh, the two teams haven't played since the World Cup. But um, what are your thoughts about the recent performances against us? Because I mean, I feel that you've given us, I mean, maybe taken the quarterfinal out of the equation. I think we had some quite tight games against you. Yes, it's funny you say that. The last time I came on this podcast, I was talking to you. I think it was back in October, and Celtic beat us two one. Uh, and now I'm on again, and, and both times just going off on a tangent here. I, I was away for the weekend, so uh, they're doing the London Marathon in both cases. So uh, oh, well done. I, I've missed both <laughs> games at Celtic Park, which I, I never do. I hate missing the games, but we've played well uh, from from what I've seen in the highlights, watching back. But you know what? I don't think we've ever really competed. It almost feels like the times that we have played Celtic this season it was you know two one at Fir Park in November and uh, two two one at Celtic Park back in uh, October. I feel like Celtic haven't really got out of second gear. You know, if, if they really wanted to take it to the next level, unfortunately, you know, they, they probably walk all over the top is. You, you mentioned the League Cup game at Fir Park. Uh, and that was, you know, that was Celtic at their best. You know, they've got that in their locker. The, the way they were spreading the ball about was, was unreal that night, you know. And, and 4-0, going on, going on eight, you know, it was it was from a mother point of view, gutting because you, the, the Cup... Not that I'm saying that we, we we don't mind losing the league games, but it's almost expected. But when it comes to a cup, that's the our only chance of glory. And you know, Celtic were fantastic that night. You know, the Kyogo brilliant. You know, I unplayable at times. I've, I can only apologise. Doesn't <laughs> 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 make it any better, Colin. Cheers for that. <laughs> and but like talking about that, I mean, that kind of dovetails nicely with. There's a lot of noise currently about the, the the standard of Scottish football, the quality, how it's you know the uh, these things always seem to come out whenever. I mean, just from my, you know my biased point of view, it seems when Celtic are doing well, everybody's like complaining about everything uh, under the sun. Uh, do you have any thoughts about the kind of conversation about the quality of Scottish football, and have you got any thoughts about how we could improve it or anything along those lines? I think, Colin, that as Scottish football fans and, and as, you know, certainly the pundits in Scottish football, they don't do a good job at talking up our game. You know, it's there's there's a lot on uh, the standard. I, I think, and again, just to echo, echo Stuart Kettlewell, he said that he thinks this is one of the best Celtic teams ever. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with him. I remember 
going back, was it five years now, where we played Celtic in two cup finals and unfortunately, you know, you, you beat us in both when Rodgers was the manager and Stephen Robinson. And uh, there, there's a significant gulf there, you know, there's, there's no doubt about that. But in, in all my lifetime, you know, I'm in, I'm in my 30s now, Colin, and in all my lifetime, I don't I don't remember it really being any different, you know, other than when Rangers dropped down the leagues and, and we get a couple of second places. You know, even, even in the 90s, when Rangers were dominant, there, there was a big gulf between them and the rest of the league. It's not... It's not anything new. I think we need to focus on the positives in Scottish football, and you know that there's more people go to watch it by head, head per head of capita than anywhere else in Europe. That you know there's there's a lot of things that we should be shouting about that are really good in Scottish football. You know you have seen that at Celtic Park yourself, where you've got fans organising you know food drives and and toy collections for those that are less needy, and that's uh, sorry those that are in a less fortunate position. And that's replicated across the country, you know. I think that Scottish football is really unique, and there's there's more selling points to it than uh, the the twenty two players on the pitch. But you know what what I read recently, and I, I thought was quite interesting is uh, when Aberdeen finished second not two years ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they were only that they were roughly twelve points behind uh, Celtic as well. So you know, it's that uh, people can talk about uh, Rangers as well, and you know how how well they've done under since he came in but they, they've been extremely poor this season as well and uh, if I was a Rangers fan I'd really be questioning uh, where the money's been spent and the decisions that are made and I suppose they are because you've seen them, them protesting at, at their games as well but uh, what I am surprised about is I thought in terms of standards of football that, that Hearts would have made more of an impact this season you know they, they got maybe too quick to spend the money I suppose just this season but they, they got into the group stages as well in Europe and the, the money that that is for a club like Hearts and a club of their stature in comparison to, like, say, you know, your St Mirrens who are just one point behind them or uh, Livingston's who are pushing on the top six. I would I would expect the teams like Hearts and Aberdeen to be a lot further ahead than they are. Uh, yeah. But for us to be seventh, uh, eighth and Livingston to be seventh, you know, just behind Hibs by a few points is, I don't feel as if the City clubs have, have taken advantage of their fan base, uh, their resources, you know, their budget, etc. So, aye, listen, I'm, I'm maybe havering a bit there, but... I, I don't. I think Scottish football is in a really good place, and I think it's undersold. Is basically what I'm trying to say. I mean, you're obviously a fan-owned club, and you're involved with the Well Society. Do you think that's? Um, do you feel like you have a lot of input in what the club does, and are you sort of seeing what can be done with a club like Motherwell going forward? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that people say quite a lot of the time on on Twitter is. Not a Motherwell fan, but this is great. You know about a lot of initiatives that, that we do. So uh, we, we do a lot around you know mental health in the area and then suicide awareness because unfortunately there's been a, a lot of young males, particularly across North Lanarkshire, have taken their lives in recent years. You know, I, I think for me as a fan-owned football club, we probably know that we're not going to compete with Celtic and Rangers in terms of winning trophies, but where we can compete with other teams in the league and certainly around Lanarkshire is how we integrate ourselves in the local community. Uh, and, and I think for someone uh, that lives, you know, not too far from the stadium and, and you know, is uh, quite heavily involved at the football club, I, I want to see Motherwell as a club that are separated by the rest because they're seen as more than something that matters to people for just 90 minutes on a Saturday. You know, I, I want people to recognise Motherwell Football Club as, all right, yeah, they, they do this for the elderly. You know, they've, they've got dementia, dementia. Uh, classes there where people can go along. They've got walking football for, you know, older men and women who are not as fit as they used to be, all, all the way down to the provide health and wellbeing stuff for kids. I, I think that's a real selling point and, and something that we need to focus on more than, right, OK, we're, we're doing all right uh, at the moment. And 
on the football pitch, but there's, there's so much more to it than that. You, you, you know yourself from being a Celtic fan, you know, the, the, the ethos and values that Celtic were built on, you know, as much as, and it's again, it's probably different for you because you are so competitive at the top end of the league, but I think for a lot of fans of all clubs, there's so much more to it than the 90 minutes and, and make, taking people on that journey is really vital and important. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, uh, well, more more power to your elbow, as I say, with that. Because, I mean, I think community stuff is something that we can we can overlook when, especially uh, when you are a successful team and there's so much focus on just, like, what's happening on the pitch. But, like, as you say, uh, Green Brigade and the boys and, like, and just the Celtic Foundation all sort of doing great, very positive things and things that align with my kind of values. So... Uh, that's a big. That's a big part of my 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 uh, my Celtic experience. So it's good to hear that from your point of view. Um, I, think, I think on that call, you know, people always think there's certainly clubs like Celtic or PLCs, and uh, often those in the boardroom are, are thinking about you know the bottom line and how much profit that you can going to make. And it again, probably different for you because there's a waiting list for season tickets and stuff as well. But a lot of the time, football fans think or football clubs think short term. Uh, so, for example, back in, in 2021, during the, the pandemic, we gave free tickets, free season tickets to unemployed and low-income families across the area, you know, and there was there was no questions asked, which many found really strange, you know, how do you prove that you've got a low income or that you're unemployed? And there wasn't any criteria. We wanted to take away the stigma there and make sure that people could turn up and, and request them without having to prove that, you know, they're, uh, I don't know, they're going to the job centre and signing on or whatever. So, uh, the, the reason that we've done that is because we knew many people were struggling and what what we tend to find is you, when you give out, when people are in a position to give back, they remember that and they come back, you know. So our season tickets have been on the rise now for a number of years and it's it's not a dramatic increase, but it's a steady, steady increase, you know, slowly but surely. And but for me that's just that's just what football should be all about, you know, make, making sure that people uh, feel at home and, and they feel part of a, a bigger collective. So uh, when when you ask the question about how much input does a fan owned football club have uh, on the day-to-day running and stuff, we don't expect as members uh, of the club to be able to pick the starting eleven or sack the manager, but we, we do expect to have a uh, an influence in terms of direction and strategy and ethos and values of the football club. So uh, it's something that I I would like to see more clubs uh, look at going forward. Obviously, a, a difficult one for clubs like yourself and uh, bigger clubs across Britain, but I actually think there's more of a an opportunity for clubs like that because you know Celtic are a global brand. Uh, we, we, we're only going to really get members in North Lanarkshire and a, a small pocket in North Lanarkshire but if, if Celtic were a fan club I'd imagine you know, you'd have people all over Ireland and America and you know New Zealand Australia all over the globe so it would be interesting to hear you know, from people that, that listen to your podcast or that are Celtic fans do, do they think that's a sustainable future for your club you know I mean, I think it's it's a dream of many, but um, you know, it's just the the world of money that we're we're existing in, sort of top tier football. Um, it seems like these things get further and further uh, away out of your grasp. But there's, big, there's bigger teams out there that sort of somehow manage to do it. So it's definitely a conversation that'd be interested to see opening up. But um, I mean, before we get all to, uh, we're all getting a bit cosy here, so uh, <laughs> we'll finish off with uh, the game. The game on Saturday, three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. You you love to see it. What is your prediction? Doesn't necessarily have to be like a score or whatever. Just uh, any any kind of prediction that springs to mind. Uh, I'll, I'll take two uh, one Motherwell when we Turnbull scoring for Celtic. We'll give him a goal when he comes <laughs> off the bench. Eh? <laughs> 
Okay, we'll see how that goes down. I, uh, I, I would say, I was going to say, oh, you'll love to see it, but I would hate to see that. But um, uh, yeah, we'll see how we get on. And are you going to the game? I'm not. No, I'm off down to London. Uh, oh, you do. Oh, you doing a marathon this yeah, weekend as well, right? This weekend, so the uh, I picked the ones to miss. To, to be honest, <laughs> uh, my prediction was two one, but it might might be the other way. So I, if we get beat, I will, will not be worrying. You, you've got the. You've got the you've got the option of like uh, looking at the result and then deciding if you're going to watch it back. Well, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I was talking to one of my friends who's a Celtic fan and lives in London, and he was he was giving me tips for some good Irish bars that tend to show the the football down there. So I, I might watch it if my wife's convinced, but I can't see her being <laughs> too happy with that. Well, that's I think I couldn't recommend it highly enough. It's a lovely experience. Um, but anyway, well, uh, all the best for Saturday and the and the run. All the worst for the football for you. And uh, thanks very, very, very much for doing this again, Derek. Uh, it's been a pleasure. No worries, all the best. Christian Celtic Motherwell. This weekend, we're here to preview instead of review. We're going to review afterwards, but we're previewing just now. We're playing nice. Motherwell on Saturday, 3pm kickoff. We are currently sitting 55 points ahead of them, so I don't think they'll be able to catch us. Uh, mm. This is the last game before the split. Motherwell are eight points away from uh, the top six, so therefore they're bottom six this season. However, they've been on uh, a decent run of form under their new permanent manager, Stuart Kettlewell. Get well, Motherwell. Nice link there. Nice. Uh, they've, they've won the last two away games and they're unbeaten away since the 4th of March. However, Christian, and when I was looking into this uh, today, I was like, I can't remember the last time we played. It's been a long time since we've played Motherwell. In fact, about five months since we played Motherwell. Um, is there any, I mean, you obviously know. Yeah, well, from being the Ross County manager, looking at the way his team played. So you know a bit about him from that kind of uh, era. We, even though we haven't played them for so long and they have been improving, what do you kind of expect to see from them this weekend? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't remember much from Ross County, I suppose. I don't remember much from last day, yesterday, but the interesting thing with Motherwell is obviously, um, if it feels like a, a, a long time ago since Celtic played them, I mean, it's, it's so long ago that teams for regular putting, setting up in a four, back four against Celtics is, is that far uh, away. Yeah, so, story, man. I know. Uh, it's uh, something you won't really see in the London days. But I think always in the first two league games, um, Motherwell goes roughly a 4-2-3-1 but I, I think okay, well uh, not just you know, because a lot of other teams have been going 5-3 at the back against Celtic since then Motherwell the last few games have been very consistent in the lineup. so the last three games they've been in a, a rough 3-4-1-2 um, which you know can easily turn into a, a back 5 the fourth game Four games ago was obviously against Rangers at home. They lost four two, and, and the only change in that was that Slattery was in a midfield three, and Mandron was not starting. So usually in the last three games, Spittle has been playing behind Mandron and Van Veen, and in that game, Spittle was pushed up beside Van Veen in kind of like a five three two formation. Um, 
I've sent you some clips, um, of course, which when Motherwell sits in a block, that five it almost can look like a five diamond one. I haven't talked much about a diamond. Uh, it feels very 1990 Italian, the diamond. Well, it's making a little bit of a uh, resurgence, but it, you might you know what occasionally see, is? you know. It's a kind of squished box. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the closest definition of a shape I could get to. Uh, a squished diamond. But yeah, in a block, you would have, you know, the midfield tree, but Spittle would maybe sit in front of them and the uh, deepest midfield, the, the middle one, Goss, would maybe sit a little bit deeper. So um, it will be interesting, Graham, whether uh, Kettlewell has watched the Derby and uh, like Derek McGuinness and go, Oof, maybe I should try back four here. Because um, then he would that was subsequently watch Commander. Exactly. Exactly. But you, you you do wonder, like, there is that variation of 5 3 2. I was called back to against the St. Johnston put up, you know, oh, rest in peace, Callum Davison, of, of course. Um, sacked. Where instead of going 5 3 2, they went 5 2 3, really, which kind of turned into 5 4 1 when it, when it fell down, which I think has got its benefits. But you know, if, if the Rangers game is anything to go by, you can expect another back five, kind of like a 3-1-1 one, one, or 3-2 on top. So it's, uh, you know, after a brief, very fun detour uh, to Derby and Derek McGuinness ball, uh, I reckon you'll see a back four, five again. Uh, the, obviously, when we've been playing, different back fives have played against us in different ways. And one of the one one of the the lineups that we've struggled to kind of uh, break down to begin with um, has been when there's such a little gap between the midfield and the defence when when they really compress that space. Is that something you expect to see from Kettlewell, well, or do you expect it to be a wee bit more attacking minded? I haven't watched a lot other than the Rangers game, and yeah, Motherwell's. You know, to take the lead is it's two two until um well into the second half. We'll get back to that. I wasn't very impressed <laughs> to be honest with you with, with the block. Um and one of the kind of it's a couple of key things to kinda I think to look out for. I think we have so many example examples in this game with Van Veen and Spittle, you know, being the front true and pressing. First of all, they're not great pressers either of them. Spittle always got a little bit more legs than Van Veen, who's almost uh, statuesque in, in his pressing. Um, but I've sent you some more clips, and it's, it's, it's essentially variations of the front two pushing quite up into the Rangers' final third. But then there's huge gaps down to the midfield tree, and then the back line is obviously even further back than that. You know, there's... And, and really a couple of times, especially with the, the lack of dynamic pressing up front and then the lack of the front tree pushing after, Rangers could pop it into, you know, the middle of the pitch in the center circle, huge spaces, you know, Lundstrom was there, Ryan Jack could pop down and, and pick up the ball, run up, and then the Motherwell midfield line and the defensive line kind of fell. So there wasn't much. I wasn't really impressed by the structure or... Uh, at least depressing from the front to a motherwell. So, and again, this is against, you know, we talked about it before, you know, teams maybe being a bit more aggressive against 
uh, Rangers, but it'll be interesting to see if they sharpen that up for Celtic Park or when Celtic, you know, try to play out for the back, are Rangers you know, going to try and push up on them? Because I, I don't know if I've decided to pick them in, but if you've got Kevin Van Veen pressing, I mean, it's not going to be much of a pressing, really. And then if you if you don't really have a commitment to push up after from the midfield line and defensive line, you know, there could be a lot of space there, between the, especially between the strikers and the midfield. Kelwell has been in the press talking about um, his praise, essentially, for Celtic. He says, I think this is, quote, I think this is one of the best sides the Scottish Premiership has seen for several years. I'm a massive Scottish football fan. I've been my entire life, and I think you should. I think that you would pitch this team up there with many other excellent sides. Um, so he is obviously aware of just how good Celtic are. He's spoken about how you see teams go one 0 up and then they maybe drop off, thinking that that's jobs uh, jobs done. Whereas Celtic just go for two and then go for three and four, etc. It gushes over Ange. I think he has a bit of a bromance with Ange, going all the way back from when he was uh, sacked from Ross County. And I think he was befriended by Ange a little bit. So, <laughs> with that in mind, do you think, because we have spoken about how we get treated differently from Rangers by the, the, the rest of the league, in that they don't tend to go as defensive against Rangers, do you think it's a case of Motherwell having that game plan, leaving some space for Rangers? Or do you think it's maybe that they just aren't good enough to be, or not well drilled enough to be uh, as disciplined when it comes to being so tight at the back? Yeah, and I, I guess the other context to that is that Rangers do play a little bit differently than, than Celtic. You know, they, they rely on putting a lot of players in the middle of the pitch. They only really have the wingers out wide, and they're often a little bit more direct as well, but it, it, you'd expect Motherwell to try and sharpen it, but there were so many kind of little things I think against Rangers that just didn't make sense to me or wasn't very very good. I think they they struggle a lot when Rangers they often have two you know essentially two strikers when they build up. They often in this game there's Kolak and then Sakala comes in. And then you know, guys like Kent often drop into the middle as well. And what that, that was quite effective, I thought, from Rangers of putting it up that way because, as we talked about loads of times, when Celtic is facing a back five, you know, you got Kyogo in the middle, you got the two wingers out wide. So the opposition wing backs are obviously looking after the wingers. And then you have usually two centre backs looking after Kyogo in the middle which frees up one centre-back to jump up into the midfield line when it's needed because Celtic often got four in the middle, you know, be it usually two number eights, the two full-backs, McGregor coming in as well. But when you put in essentially two strikers on the three centre-backs, you stop this, essentially you stop the centre-backs from being able to jump up in the midfield line. And there was a, there was a couple of times in this game where Rangers had a lot of space especially on the side of that midfield tree. And they often kind of created really overloads on, on, on the, from, I sent you one example on the left-hand side where the ball goes out to, I think, Goldson. And on Rangers' right-hand side, Motherwell's left-hand side, there's, you know, 
you have Rangers have placed a player out wide, always in Tavernier. They've placed a player between the wing back and the centre back, and they also placed um, a Sakala on the middle centre back. And you have Cantwell dropping in between the lines. So you suddenly, because those by putting kind of two strikers there, you kind of pin the centre backs back, and that leaves you then that space often between the midfield and the defensive line to kind of drop into and receive balls in and kind of have a three against three, four against three for a few seconds. There's a couple of examples of that, but I think it, you know, the other ones I've sent to you, you can see it's, I think it's Kolak and Sakala bang in the middle. The ball goes out to Cantwell on the, like beside the midfield tree. And there's just a lot of space because you, you, you're stopping your center back from jumping up. So again, we'll, Motherwell do it a little bit different against Celtic. Maybe try to, but from what I saw against Rangers, I wasn't didn't strike me as a team that has to nail down or really drill down in terms of that kind of defensive setup that you know, those lesser teams have had. So when when they speak about a team like Paris or Germain, they say that of they being the the perceived wisdom that they can yes. never win the top tournament when they're when they're essentially nursing three players up front, they're not going to do any work. Um, Motherwell, I've got one player not doing yes. any work. He's scoring a lot of goals for them, Van der Veen. Um, in a game like this, the goals for Motherwell are probably going to be less important than the goals against. What danger? Do you see from a moral point of view, and Van der Veen, we're talking about essentially walking back towards the halfway line when when players are coming out from the back, as opposed to try to press, try to harry anyone. What what dangers do you perceive from Motherwell? Because obviously, even when they go by Van der Veen, they've still got eight outfield players like marking, defending in in space. Do you think Celtic will be able to fully capitalize on that, or do you think it's it's not as if it, do you think it's not going to be like the partner of the Red Sea because they'll still be well set up behind the striker? I mean, you're really keen on comparing him to some of the best players in world football because it's the last pod you were talking about him and Messi. Golden Boot is up for it, man. He's up for it. And now Van Veen. I, I, I think you're just also giving him an extra Van Der there. I think it's just Van Veen. I think it's because um, I was reading you know. about Van der Meda. You know, Andy, I was reading about him the other day, Andy Van der Meda. Okay. No, that makes sense. They all look the same too, essentially. Dutch. Um, that's that's a German, of course, shining true for you. Uh, by the way, no. Uh, so, yeah, no, he's, he is in the rich vein of form, and so, so, so I wanted to have a close look at him <laughs> during this game. And I mean, he scores the first goal. Obviously, it's, it's a nice finish from, from across. Um, but talk about somebody who wasn't really impressive. You know, he is, you know, I, I, I showed you, uh, I sent you uh, some clips, but also sent you some videos. Um, I labeled them donkey, lazy donkey, lazy slow donkey, slow as fuck donkey, and fucking lazy donkey costing Motherwell uh, a goal or two, too. So I, I guess you can take from that I wasn't that impressed with him. I think he's, he doesn't really have, as, as I, I guess, a 30 something journeyman in it. In the Scottish League, he doesn't have a great technique. I think he, you know, he spills a really good chance for Motherwell in the first half by, by his first touch, um, which might have been offside, but obviously it would have been a really close VAR check. 
um, again in the second half, you know, you get some true balls that he's, he's very, very slow on. So, in terms of a counter-attacking team, okay, if you can arrive in the box, he can he can finish. But if he actually needs to be on the ball before the penalty box, he can struggle. But what I found really, really poor by him is is, is his pressing. You know, uh, and it stills didn't do this justice, Graham. So I thought I had to send you these uh, uh, videos. And there's one example. There's a few. I think there's four of them all together. Um, the first one is when he does run out wide at one point to press, which I don't think he should do. It takes him about a couple of light years to get back into the middle of the pitch. There were so many times when he is in the middle of the pitch. He's waiting for, I think it was Davis at this point, to come out with a ball. And I was like, Davis kind of just gets to jog past him. And when he kind of tries to press a bit, he tries to tackle, he, he usually just takes the man. Um, but the really unforgivable thing I, I saw in this game, um, and we had a nice moment when we watched it together here, uh, simultaneously, um, before we started. If you go and look at Rangers' third goal, so it was a Budwell makes it 2-2. Um, after, um, you know, Rangers take the lead, um, Motherwell get listed 2-2, two, two, but two minutes after, Rangers builds up from the back. The ball goes over to Davis again on the on the right-hand side. Van Veen is, is the closest striker to him. But I thought it, he essentially just turns his back and walks slowly up to the centre circle when the closest centre-back is taking the ball out. But not only that, because... And Motherwell's Mitchell tree is quite spread out. It causes a real issue because I think it's the um, right midfielder who name is as much as I've forgotten his name. Um, hey, hold on, Cornelius. And um, he has to press. Um, Davis coming out. It allows Cantwell to kind of slip behind Goss in the middle, and you know. Because there's absolutely no pressure on it. Rangers go, place a right, crosses in and scores. And I've, I've never, I mean, Spittle is the same. Spittle's turned his back and just walking back as well. But, and I know it's it's been half an hour, uh, to play for 60 minutes. But, I mean, that type of pressing is just unforgivable if you just made it 2 2. Um, and, and at least, you know, try and jog a little bit. And so, I don't know, Graham, what was your instant reaction just to, to crushing your dream? That fan mean might not be. Maybe he's PhD off the ball, but he's definitely he's yeah, on the ball. Definitely not. I think um, you know the the old adage that you're at your most uh, your weakest or your most vulnerable when you've just scored. I think they were taking that fully on board and were accepting the fact that they were going to have to go back and take center, and they were just slowly walking back to the center circle. Yeah. Like they knew it was coming, so let's just walk back to the center. So I don't think I've seen that in the modern era for a long time. Someone basically, so I, just to, to fully explain, you've got a, a Motherwell player who's standing looking at centre backs coming out of the ball and decides he's going to turn his back on them and start yeah. walking towards the half line. And, and how far is he away from Davis when Davis starts? Ten yards? Yeah. And, just, and he's, he's the closest player by far. And yeah. he just goes, No, I've had enough. That's um, been an hour here. You know, and it's just. I mean, so if that happens against us, 
I mean, so first of all, what I wanted to, to talk about is the, the, the stories coming out about how um, CCV is going to have to go in for surgery after the, the, the semi-final, which would suggest to me that he's going to play in the semi-final, which knock-on effect means he's probably going to play on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So for Starfelt and CCV at the back, Kobayashi onto the bench. What do you think, what kind of impact would it have with Van, Van Veen walking back to the centre circle like that? Do you, do you, will we be able to exploit it or do you think being less direct it wouldn't be that much of an impact? No, well, he's probably not going to walk the whole game, but he, as I said, it's not a great presser anyway. So if you then committing, so what you probably expect to see is Van Veen on top spittle maybe sit on, on McGregor unless he does something a little bit different and then the tree behind there and I, so I, but I think if you have a striker that do not press at all you especially in this game it created a lot of space for yes the Celtic uh, sorry you know it will create a lot of space for the Celtic centre-back to step out but what you saw in this game is that the midfield tree is not probably as narrow and as compact, compact as it should be. So if you add that to a striker that's not really pressing, it allowed, you know, um, Rizan, um, you know, there's a Turkish life path for Rangers, said he, even him can kind of step up, look up. And because there was so much space between the midfield tree and he had so much time and just passes out between the lines. And also because... Motherwell's backline wasn't the most aggressive in, in, in one of those centre-backs jumping out as well. So it wasn't just him, but it was like a culmination of bad pressing up front, that midfield tree being quite spread out and not as compact as it always was. Spittle isn't the greatest presser either on, on McGregor. So I, I think it'll help Celtic. And obviously, I'd, I'd, you'd always want Kobayashi in there and talk, talk about playing out. But I think even Starfleet and CCB, if, if they get that kind of space... And they have movement in front of them and kind of number eights in the fullback that can jump in and out between the midfield tree or between the midfield line and the defensive line. It's like, you know, it's just only going to be a good team for Celtic. Um, because if you want to do, if you want to set up this way against Celtic, you can't be too low, but you also have to be very, very compact. You have to run sideways a lot. And that includes the strikers. And Van is not going to do that. So the things that he, that he is good at are scoring goals, which we've seen this season. I don't uh, care about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, goals are, are important. But is there anything about the types of goals that he scores that you think, would, is there any kind of Achilles heel you would see from Celtic when it comes to his type of goals? Is there anything we need to watch out for? Or do you think we should be able to handle him pretty, pretty easily? Um, I mean, he's... Pretty much take a quick look at all his goals. All his goals um, this season, bar one, has come like I think it's you know, I think it's a penalty in there as well. If you even take away the penalty, they all come within 10 yards of the goal, right? Um, like 13 goals, only two headers really. Um, but you know, they, they are a, a penalty box strike in that sense you know he, he scores from the middle of the pitch uh, middle of the penalty box um, 
and I also don't think it is a coincidence that you know. But well, I was going to say because a lot of his goals are, and as I said, you can't take too much just looking at goals, but none of them is from a set piece so far. So it, it, it's it's very much open play goals he's had uh, in the league, and he's got uh, one set piece goal, which is like a, quite a, a belter of a of a free kick as well. So because I was going to sit down and look at that, I thought, I thought well, he'd be scoring a lot from set pieces and, and so on, but it's all been from open play. But they all have been pretty much, you know, from ten yards in. And the width of the goal, where you kind of expect it to be. So we don't let, allow them to enter the box. We don't really have a problem. I think that's always the case, really. Celtic is so dominant in terms of possession, just simply keeping the ball, but also then tiring out the opponent. Uh, yeah, it's set pieces. You know, a counter attack. You know, I don't think a team's going to build up, especially even even Modwell's not going to build up against Celtic. So. And then you do also get, you know, Van Veen is not great in threatening the space behind the strikers, as we saw as showed a couple of, of clips there. It's not very fast. His technique isn't great. But obviously, if you can bring runners in on each side in a, in a transition, in a counter-attack against Celtic, and then, you know, you, you will be in the box. And, and that's, as you see, that, that's where he is effective. It's basically- Does it remind you of someone? Do you think? Francis Jeffers, box okay. okay. yeah. I'm, okay. I'm not going where you want me to go. No, I'm not <laughs> going to go. Uh, so one person who has been uh, getting a bit of uh, plaudits this season, and he's, it's similar to uh, Calvin Ramsey in that he has come in back from loan, not played many games at right back, uh, but is now being seen as the kind of next big thing, and is apparently getting lined up to move to either England or Italy at the end of his contract this season, and that's Max Johnston, 19-year-old right-back. He's English, but he is homegrown for Motherwell, a homegrown status. So what do you make of Johnston? Is this some... Because Celtic, Celtic's name has been in the papers when it comes to Max Johnston. I don't don't know what the, the how strong the link is. Is he someone you think we should be looking at? And I, I spoke to you beforehand about you were trying to look up clips and stuff for him. When it comes to a player like an attacking wing-back, what is the complication of us scouting someone, an attacking wing-back, who is playing for such a limited team like Motherwell? Yeah, it's a completely different role when you, a lot of the time, have to sit. No, actually, yeah, I've only, I haven't watched him much. I watched him against Rangers too, and it, it's fine. But obviously, a team like that, you have to sit very deep and very wide um, on, you know, the opposition fullback. I think it was the opposition you know, fullback in this kind of game is, you know, the Rizan Turkish left back, and it's he's not the biggest challenge in terms. Of, he's not going to try to pull you one against one or threaten much at all. So you didn't really get a good grasp of what he can do. Uh, I think in this game, um, and then obviously, as I said, it's it's a completely different type of role um, playing fullback for a team like Motherwell, who's 
very much about your fullbacks and your wingbacks keeping with and going wide. So if you talk about translating that into you know, a Celtic kind of fullback where you're so much more involved in build-up play where you're so much more centrally, um, it's difficult to judge, but it's that doesn't mean you, you can't do that transition. It's I think for a Celtic fullback right now, it's about having very good close technique, being aggressive in, in terms of your passing, you know, being confident in, in making those passes, seeing the runs early, hitting runners early. And I think it's obviously getting a sense of moving inwards and what, you know, when you should move uh, invert and so on and have the confidence to step in and and, and do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think when you have somebody who's not even 20 yet and they are playing, you know, regularly for for a top flight team, I think it's that by itself is a good indication of how, how good they are and can be. So it's interesting that he's, he's out of after contract um, because always the big kind of dilemma for, for Celtic has been sort of like Calvin Ramsey others that do you commit three, four million pounds to a player like that, which is still a good chunk of the budget for Celtic. But I should say, I mean, Celtic desperately need, you know, association trained players. But I guess that what you're putting him up against here is Anthony Ralston, really. That's the, you know, because unless Celtic goes out and buy uh, another right back to challenge Alistair Johnston, I don't, you know, if they were to do that and have two right backs that were not association trained or club trained, you know, as we talked about before, you're really, really running out of split Champions League group stages. So I don't think Celtic will buy a new right back. Um, partly because Tony Ralston takes one of those places, but it is then an interesting one that it is Celtic's, you know, the backup right back in Celtic's squad is essentially someone who will highly likely need to be association trained. And then if you go somebody like Max Johnston, and if the Celtic scouts are happy with what to see, if they think he can kind of translate into a Celtic fullback, I mean, why not? If you can get him for free for a nominal sum, he's against up against Tony Ralston for, for playing time. So uh, to be honest, I, I think it takes uh, it takes a lot of lot of boxes for me. I've, I've in a profile wise, I you know you'd have to look at it more to see if you think he's ready to contribute next season already. But if he is, you know, it's, it seems like a, a really good deal for Celtic, especially that he's free and uh, association trained. And we can have the, the Johnson and Johnson link. Right? Uh, I'll let you do that one, um, which I'm happy to do for you. Wait, wait. So. When you see like the kind of vultures uh, circling around the SPFL, we've got Johnson linked away this week. We've got the young 17-year-old at Dundee United uh, been linked away, I think. Uh, a Ross County 16-year-old has gone down to Fulham to, to see the training uh, situation down there this week. Like there's a, a United 15-year-old at uh, Brentford doing yeah. Easter as well. So, yeah. Dylan something, is it? Is it Dylan something? 
can't remember. But no, it's a goalkeeper. It's a goalkeeper. Uh, when it comes to to seeing these things, does it make it? Obviously, we've spoken about the the need for Celtic to get the the young players in early. Does it make it harder for Celtic to kind of assess these players when the the football that they're playing at their their clubs is just totally foreign to the football that we would want them to be playing? Or is it, or is it as, as you say, is it about just looking at those small fundamentals to see if you think you may be able to mould the players? You, you would think so. I mean, I presume Celtic is aware of all the top talents coming through Scotland. I mean, they, they should be. They, they, they have to be. And for me, it's just a, like the, the proposition. What can you offer them? And I think, like estimation, you probably earning can get five, six times as much than an academy in, in England, in the Championship or, or the Premier League, the kind of Celtic. And then it's a case of okay, what kind of coaching facilities, facilities and coaching standard can you be given there? What kind of matching in terms of the the level you can play at and then so see the pathway as well. So something need to be able to attract those players. You know, it, it, I, I don't see why Celtic shouldn't be in a position to stop the most talented youngsters from, from going down to England and bring them into Celtic. If that means paying them a little more, sure. If it needs even better infrastructure, link stand, so on, you know, that, that's the investment you need to make. And it's, and then it comes back to, you know, you need to have empathy and in the middle of understanding that, you know, a Max Johnston should, should maybe be the, the backup right back for Celtic, you know, um, to have that profile and, and give them minutes to, to build up. And then, because as I said before, there's only 17 spots in that. So Champions League squad or European squad for players who are not association or a club trained. So that's the focus of the club should be that way. Um, we talked about it before though, and it's, you know, it's depending on so many different factors. But for me, there shouldn't be any reason why they sort of can't you know, compete with those academies. So we've looked at the good and the bad of Motherwell. Um, now let's just do a little focus on what we expect to see from Celtic. My prediction is that we have the same team against Marnock, but we have CCB back in for Kobayashi and Jota back in for Haksavanovic. Can you see anything different from that against Motherwell on Saturday? Because surely this is a dress rehearsal. Yeah, that, that, that's why I think as well in terms of... I think actually we'll try and go with as close as a team as you reckon. That, that doesn't mean that there might be a change uh, at the wingers. You know, we talked about you know, if Hatati is ready, it's probably not for this game. Um, what would happen? But yeah, I can I can see Jota coming back in, and I I guess the only question mark is does Kobe actually stay or not, and if he stays, who goes in? But that's probably a bit more visual thinking for me. I probably if if, if CCB is scheduled to play the the cup final, uh, cup semi final, he'll play her as well. So. Sorry enough to bring anything more exciting, Graham, but I, I think it's going to be you know, the semi-final lineup bar maybe Hatati uh, if he's ready for next week. It would be the call of all calls for Ange to change something in the centre back. Wouldn't it? I mean, it would just no, be... but not. Do you think? 
I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love Kobayashi. It's almost, it's, to me, it's almost like the call was bigger than the actual decision to do it. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the impact of the decision would be lesser than the, the actual call to make the decision in the first place. I, I, I think it's a perfect time. You know, if, if, if you want to win the Champions League next season, you know, you, you want them playing big games now. I think he's shown that he can, how good he's on the ball. He showed that he can handle himself defensively. And to give him that experience of like the pressure of, of that kind of situation in the, in the semi final, be magic. I did, well, I think hopefully it's performance be magic, but I think, you know, if you have the belief in him, I think he's shown that he, you never know how a game is going to go and they might, a game might hinge on moments and, and things like that. But I don't necessarily play him with an eye on both what he can do in the semi final, but also, also next season as well. I mean, he is going to have five games after the, the semi, so he is going to have. I, I know, but it's this is the last one that's going to have a be able to test him pressure wise in any sort of close to what was just going to be in the Champions League. So, you know, to, to give him that experience, I think would be. Really helpful. I don't think he's going to play, but I, I'm just trying to make a case for him. So, no Kobayashi on Saturday, no Kobayashi in the final, no Hitati on Saturday, no Hitati in the final. That Thanks, Grant. What's that? Semi final. Thanks. Thanks. No, I, I, I'm asking you is that what you think? If they don't play Saturday, they're, they're not playing the, the semi. I don't know about Hitati. I think Hitati might play even if he doesn't play on, on Saturday. If if Ange Chinks is ready here, he'll go in. But no, other than that, I think what you see on Saturday will be uh, a semi-final. Well, if we do win on Saturday, we will move 15 points clear with 15 points to play for and a goal difference of at least 29 goals, depending on how many we take off my It could be up to 32, 33, 34, 39, you never know. Um, and oh, obviously oh. Rangers play the, the, the following day. Sorry, Finally, it's, it, they've tried to keep that conspiracy going so far, but now they're finally playing after us. So. Aberdeen as well. You could you could see something happening here. No, I can't really see somebody. So would would we celebrate the the title if Aberdeen beat them and we go thirty three points clear, uh, thirty three goals clear and uh, fifteen points clear? No, you, you don't celebrate until it's until it's mathematical. That's just that's just a rule. <laughs> 